Good morning. You guys doing well? This is my favorite service right here. I, I think I said that to the people last night at our Saturday night service. And I'll probably say it at the service. Uh, yeah, you were here last night. You're going to hold me accountable, aren't you? And I'll probably say it to the service after this one. They're all three my favorite. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. What a wonderful day this is. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book into the New Testament. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42, chapter 10 of Luke. This is our crazy busy series, Going from Burnout to Balance, subtitled. And the weekend title is Good, Better, Best. This is uh, our finale. We're wrapping it up, heading into a brand new teaching series next weekend, calling it Encounters with God. We're going to be looking at Old Testament characters and their encounter with God and how it changed their lives forever and how our encounters with God will certainly change our lives. The series, this series, Crazy Busy, key verse has been, anybody know what our key verse has been throughout this series? 4610, yes. One person knew that. That's okay. That's okay if you didn't know it. I mean, we didn't keep going back to it, but 4610, anybody can, anybody quote that verse? Pretty, pretty simple verse. Anybody? Be still and know that I am God. Is that what you guys were thinking? Yeah. Isn't that an awesome verse? It's in the context of uh, a, a bit of chaos, a bit of uh, problems, difficulty, and he's saying, be still and know that I am God. I'm convinced that you can experience the peace of God regardless of your circumstances. The peace of God guarding your heart and mind th- through Christ Jesus. And it's pretty amazing. I-, I like the way the message puts that verse. You probably have memorized this one too because I've quoted it plenty of times. It says, step out of the traffic and take a long loving look at me, your high God. Isn't that a great way to put it? So here's, here's what I often, when I look at my life, and this is what we're going to learn today. When I have a lot of restlessness, anybody here ever have restlessness in their life? Kind of restless. And anytime I have irritability towards others in my life, anybody ever, ever experienced that? Yes, maybe, no. Maybe this morning, uh, this is what I have found. That's t- it's time for me to step out of the traffic and take a long loving look at my high God. My wonderful God. That's what I need more than anything. That's what you need more than anything. And that's what that verse is about. That's what this whole series has been about. Last weekend, we talked about Sabbath rest. And uh, Sabbath rest is both a principle and a practice. The principle is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. That in itself is amazing. When you consider Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, it says for the wages of sin, it says for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. So we're all sinners. But it also tells us in Romans 6.23, we're all separated from God, for the wages of sin is death. And this is what's so cool about Romans 5.1, is that God could not bear the thought of us being separated from Him. And so guess what? He took the initiative and reached out to us and paid our debt in full that we owed Him so that we could have access to Him, so that we could know Him. See, that's the gospel message. And so this understanding of Sabbath rest is this, first of all, this principle that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1, and the practice, so it's a principle and a practice. Here's the practice. The practice is to drive that principle, that truth, deep into our heart, giving us the peace of God. So we have peace with God. And so as we drive that truth deep into our heart, that will give us the peace of God. 
the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So that regardless of what we're going through, we can face it. We can face it with courage. We can face it with confidence. We can face it with compassion. We can face it with contentment. Pretty amazing. Philippians 4, 7 talks about that, that peace that goes beyond our understanding that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So here's what I'm, I'm getting at here this morning as part of our intro. Is that to the degree that I know that I have peace with God is to the degree that I'll experience the peace of God ruling my heart to face anything. Anytime I'm irritable, restless, it's because I'm not living in the reality of the fact that I have access to the throne room of God. He is with me. He is for me. And so I've got to, I've got to work to drive that deep into my heart. It becomes a greater reality. And then therefore, I will have the peace of God guarding my heart and mind. And uh, so we're going to learn how to do that this morning. How do you do that? How do you do that in the Sabbath rest? How do you do that heart work? And so that's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into our, our text. We've got really a wonderful text here this morning. Father God, I know that there's going to be many people this weekend that come here, here at Desert Breeze, and uh, they're going to be anxious and troubled about many things, financially, relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so, Father, we, we know that peace is not the absence of conflict and problems, but, but the presence of Christ our Savior in our lives. Help us to see more clearly that we are justified by faith and have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may that produce the peace of God that goes beyond our understanding, guarding our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Teach and transform our lives through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit for your glory and our deep and durable joy and peace in Jesus Christ's name. We pray these things. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text. We'll begin reading verse 38, chapter 10. Story about Mary and Martha. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Think about that for a minute. So Martha was distracted by much serving. What are you distracted by this morning? We all tend to be easily distracted by a lot of things. Maybe it's, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it could be any number of things. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now, you guys are familiar. These were friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha. And I, I find kind of interesting that it never mentions uh, poor Lazarus. You know, remember Lazarus? He was raised from the dead. Poor dude. Just, you know, two sisters. Their personalities are way too big. Okay. So all they mention is the, the two sisters. He's somewhere in there. We know that. Okay. But their personalities are way too big for him. He's not even mentioned in the story. And... Uh, but I find this quite interesting story. Let me give you, uh, we'll, we'll kind of give you a little bit of the context. And then there's two things we're looking at here this morning. Signs that you lack peace of God. We see this in the text. And then how to get the peace of God. How to get the peace of God in our hearts. So that we can really face anything in our lives. So 
Let me ask you this question, first of all, as we, as we read that story, which of the two do you tend to be more like? Are you more like Martha or are you more like Mary? Let me define this a little bit more. Martha would be more of that task-oriented type person. And then Mary is more of that people-oriented person. So I guess the question I would be asking you is, uh, how do you recharge? What recharges you the most? When you, when you do tasks, can you get them done? Get them off, you know, work through the checklist, and you get them all done, you feel good, woo that's recharging. Or is it hanging out with people? Does that recharge you? Because all of us are kind of wired up like that. We're either going to be task-oriented or people-oriented. So let me do a quick survey. How many would say that you're probably more like Martha, more task-oriented? That's what, that recharges you. Okay. Okay. Okay, how many would say that you're more like Mary? Show of hands, you're more people-oriented. Okay. Isn't that interesting? I, I'm kind of curious. How did you guys, uh, uh, did Danny even know which one he is? He's confused. How many didn't even raise their hand at all because you're kind of confused, not really sure? How many would say that maybe both? Maybe a little bit of both? Okay. And I think balance would be good. But you can, little, you can see sometimes that those of you that are task-oriented get a little bit put out by those that are people-oriented. Hey, we got things to do around here. I mean, enough of the talking. Let's get to work. And so usually when you get upset at somebody that's a little bit more people-oriented, you know, they're socializing. Enough of the socializing. Let's get back to work. And so usually people that are saying those things are probably a little bit more task-oriented. And the, and the people-oriented people say, hey, chill out on the work, man. We're, we're connecting here. And so we tend to fall into one of those general categories, and, and what we really want to do is be, be balanced. Now, within these categories, we can also be, this is very general, but we can also be very controlling or very compliant. Very controlling or very compliant. And then when you look at Mary and Martha, it seems as though Martha is not only task-oriented, but she seems to be a little bit controlling. I mean, wouldn't you say that? And then Mary says, just be real compliant. Okay, whatever. I want to sit at Jesus' feet and hang out with Jesus. Now, those of you that know me, which one do you think that I am? Am I, am I, <laughs> am I compared to my wife, am I controlling or more compliant? What would you guys say? Controlling? Hey, back off. Get off my back. And what do you guys think Nancy is, my wife? No, she isn't. You have no idea how much she tries to control me. Now, she's pretty compliant. Okay. She's pretty compliant. But which one would you fit into what category? So you can see a little bit uh, kind of why we have the conflict that we have. So you can be task-oriented or people-oriented. Plus, within those, uh, those realms, you can either be controlling or compliant. And there can be that balance. I think what, we're, what we need to learn here is that... So it, I don't think that Jesus is just getting on, you know, getting down on, on uh, Martha... Like that's that we're to be more like Mary. I think there's a balance that we can learn through this because a Mary type person can be just as wrong as a as a Martha type person when run to an extreme. Because if, if all you want to do is sit around and read your Bible all the time and pray, you got to get up and do something. Okay, that should get you up and, and motivate you a little bit. And so certainly we know that that's not all that Mary did because that, you run that to an extreme and that's a fault. So there's this balance. And here what I think that the balance is that we need to worship like Mary and work like Martha. And, and I think that would be the appropriate balance. And I think that's what we can learn from this. We want Mary's heart in Martha's hands. I mean, and so, kind of, so here's the title of, of our message, Good, Better, Best. And this is kind of how I work it in. 
to this. And here's the thought, kind of the general thought, thesis statement. Work is a good thing, and it's better than doing nothing. But the best thing is work that flows out of worship. We were called to be worshipers first and then workers second. You, you flip the order, life gets messed up. It's not how we are to do our life. If you worship God before you work, then you can worship God in your work. I mean, even if you look at the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2, this is what you have. You have a merry world with Martha moments. And then when you hit Genesis chapter 3 and you have the fall, and from that point on, you have a Martha world, this more driven, addictive, got to get things done, that Martha world with merry moments. Even when you look at the Hebrew day, when does the Hebrew day uh, start? The Jewish day. It's sundown? Sundown? Yeah. It's at sundown. So think about that. The Jewish day even began. Your day begins when the sun goes down. What does that tell you? It's, it's a merry moment. It's meant to be a time of... When you start your day by recharging. You hang out with your family. You eat together. You get a good night of sleep. So you can see even how the day, the day is. And even when you look at Sabbath, for Christians, the Sabbath is what day? It's today. It's Sunday. Why? Because of the resurrection of, of Christ. And so what's the first day of the week? Today. Today's the first day of the week. How many were thinking Monday? That's the first day of the week. No, actually, Sunday. Today's the first day of the week. You start your week. So, so the day begins at sundown, and the week begins on Sunday. And so the rhythm. So here's the rhythm. Remember we talked about rhythm, rhythm or blues. If you don't have some rhythm in your life, you're going to be singing the blues. So here's the rhythm. The rhythm of the day is Mary. So worship, then Martha. The rhythm of the week is, the first day of the week is Mary, Mary, spending time with the Lord, followed by the six Martha days. And so as we said, what we want to do is that as we learn Sabbath, we, we uh, divert daily, we withdraw weekly, and we abandon annually to recharge and to be reminded that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what's going to give us the peace of God, guarding our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And really, when you look at this rhythm, that's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's amazing. When you think about the gospel, the gospel is, is, is really, as C.S. Lewis said, simply irresistible. So, so the gospel is this. We labor from... Not for his love. That's the gospel. So, so we have his love. And so that, that Sabbath, we, we absorb his love. That's what Mary's doing. Mary's just soaking up his love. Oh, he loves me. And then it's out of that, then we work. So we, we labor from, not for his love. We work from our identity, not for our identity. See, that's the Christian message. See, that's the Christian message, and that's, it's amazing. It's totally the antithesis, the opposite of all the major cults and religions of our world today. Everything else is that you've got to work, work, come on. And if you're good enough, maybe God will give you his approval and accept it. No, no, no. Through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything you need through Jesus. That is amazing. I don't think we live in the reality of it near enough. Because if we did, then we'd have peace that guards our hearts and minds regardless of what we go through. And so that's, that's a little bit of, of uh, 
kind of background and understanding that. Now, let's walk through this. Signs that you lack the peace of God. Let's work through this to look at our own lives. And here's the first sign that we see in the text, doubting that God cares. By the way, these signs are both progressive and interrelated. They build on each other. And this is kind of the root of, of all of them is doubting that God cares. Did you notice in verse 40, she says, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Did you know that all of our problems are rooted in that? Did you know that when we're overwhelmed by temptation, when we succumb to temptation or overwhelmed by trial, it's because we don't think that God cares. We're beginning to question that God, do you really care about me? Do you care about me? Now, next week, we're going to head into a brand new teaching series, Encounters with God, as I already stated. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. And here's where the enemy always is going to come after you and where he attacks us. Is he's going to get you to question the goodness of God. Because when we begin to question the goodness of God, we think that we can begin to do life on our own apart from him. And we can find a much happier life away from him because we think somehow he's holding out on us. He doesn't have my best interest at heart. When you really look at when people defect from the faith, people defect from the faith for two reasons. One is that they're deceived by the pleasures of this world. And why would they be deceived by the pleasures of this world? Because they think God's holding out on them. They really think that they're going to find greater satisfaction in the world as opposed to in Christ. And in God. And they're convinced of that. That's deception, by the way. And one of the reasons why people become disillusioned by the pressures of life, they're thinking, wow, why is this happening? God must be holding out on me in some way. Wow, where's God in all of this? So that disillusionment comes because you begin to question the goodness of God. That's the root of all of our issues. We question His goodness. Listen. No one has ever loved you more. No one will ever love you more than God. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And so he, he made sure that we knew that for a fact, regardless of what goes down in our life, no matter how hard the temptation might be or how difficult the trial is. He loves us. His goodness, I mean, that was an exclamation mark, you know, with the cross. That's his goodness. He loves us. He's rescuing us. He's reaching out to us. He's pursuing us. And so the first thing that you see that she's, she's beginning to question the goodness of God. And did you notice uh, God's response? By the way, come back next week. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to explore that down deep into our heart to see why is it we struggle with that so much. And that's really the enemy's attack. That's where he comes at us. Is he doesn't get us to question whether God exists nor his, you know, God's laws, but he gets us to question God's goodness. And sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. We tend to chase after a lot of things in our life because we just don't think that we're going to find that deep satisfaction in him, and that's simply not the case. But notice how Jesus responds to her. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, in the Semitic language, the doubling of a word means magnification. For instance, you know, uh, if you study in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 14, uh, in that chapter, it's, it's quite interesting. It's a bit humorous, I think, if you really study the Hebrew there, is that some kings are, there's some kings that are fleeing from a battle and fall into some very large pits. And in the Hebrew, it calls them pit pits. Isn't that interesting? So in our language, we say very large pits. And in the Hebrew, it goes pit pits. So it's for magnification. Second uh, Samuel 18, David hears of his son's death, and he says, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Luke 22, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to take you under my wings as a mother hen takes her chicks. So here what we have with Jesus saying, Martha, Martha. Jesus is counseling Martha out of deep love and tremendous compassion. 
I almost get the idea here this morning that maybe, maybe he's saying that to you this morning through this text. He's saying, hey, whatever your name is. Uh, he wouldn't say that. He, he, actually, he actually knows your name. Okay. So, hey, Jim, 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 Tom, Tom, Mary, Mary, you know, whatever. Um, he, he would, he's, he's tender towards us. He's speaking to you this morning. Why are you so troubled? Why are you so anxious? Tender words from our Savior. That's what he's saying. He's reaching out to us. He wants us to know his love and his compassion. He doesn't come after us with a, with a sledgehammer. He's coming after us to draw us in, to say, hey, listen, listen, why are you all stressed out? You don't need to be anxious. I love you. And that's what he's doing. He's appealing, appealing to her. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7. Maybe you're familiar with this. It says, cast all of your cares on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Now listen to me. Look up here. He cares for you. That's just not some bumper sticker theology. That's reality. He cares for you. In fact, in, Rome, uh, in uh, Psalm 8, David puts it this way. He, he starts the psalm by saying, Oh, Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Then he goes on and says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the stars and the moon, how you have set them in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. So he's looking at the majesty of creation and he says, wow, I can't believe that the creator would think thoughts about me. But not only that, he cares about me. He loves me. See, it's his greatness that makes his goodness so comforting. And it's his goodness that makes his greatness so captivating. As you get to know him, that he's not only powerful, but he's personal. He's not only great, but he's good. He's not only transcendent beyond our wildest dreams, but he's eminent. He's close. He's personal. He's here this morning to meet with us because he loves us. Why are you so anxious? Why are you so troubled? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's appealing to us. That's what this text is saying. I, I love... Dea Carson actually believes, uh, I won't read the whole quote, the whole quote here, but it's just, uh, this is from Crazy Busy Book uh, by Kevin DeYoung. He says, quoting Dea Carson, he says, If you keep burning the candle at both ends sooner or later, you will indulge in more and more mean cynicism. What he says is that fatigue and uh, when we're so busy, we don't get enough rest at night and all these things, it begins to work against us. We become jaded and cynical and sarcastic. And then he says, and the line between cynicism and doubt is a very thin one. In other words, it can create doubt within us. We begin to doubt God's goodness in our life. It creates that, that within our lives. Now, doubting that God cares inevitably will lead to this. It, obviously, it's, it's internal restlessness. That's the next one. Internal restlessness, verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And let's define these words. The word anxious means to be torn into pieces and pulled in many directions. Do you guys ever feel like that sometimes? You've got so many things going on. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Go here. Go there. And that's what he's saying. He says, you're torn in, into pieces, pulled in many directions. Martha, Martha, you are anxious. And then he uses the word troubled. Troubled is, is a word that means tossed along like a capsized boat, which is being pushed along in a stream instead of being able to, to power itself. You just feel like you're just 
being pushed by life's pressures and problems and difficulties. You feel a little bit, of, a little bit out of control. And it's almost like he's saying, you know, Mar- Mary has chosen the one thing, but you have to have 30 things in order to be happy, Martha. He's saying, Mary has the one thing. You have to have 30. Now think about that. I, I gave you a, a good cross-reference here, Philippians 4, 6-7. through 7. When the Apostle Paul is in prison, not the most desirable circumstances... And uh, he says uh, this, don't be anxious about anything. Using the same word here, don't be pulled in every which way. All these different directions. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And then he goes on, he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he's saying, don't you understand God cares about you? And then he goes on a little bit further in that same chapter and says that, uh, talks about being content. I've learned to be content in all circumstances. And I think it goes right along with this, not being anxious about anything, giving it to God, talking to Him about it, knowing that you have His presence. And then you find this contentment. And then a little bit further down, he says in 4.13, he says, I can do all things through who? who? Through Christ who strengthens me. And then a little bit further down, he says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Yeah, glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So it's so pretty fascinating. So here's the deal. One of the reasons why we become anxious is because we've overly attached our heart to something that we think that we can't live without. And if we do that to anything other than Christ, inevitably it's going to let us down. And so when he says, he says, Mary has chosen the one thing. Really, there's only one thing that you really need for happiness, and that's him, regardless of whatever happens in your life. If you understood what you had in him, you could certainly handle anything. But oftentimes, we don't live in the reality of what we do have in him. But Martha, you, you have to have 30 things. Or, you know, he didn't actually say that, but it was almost kind of like, you're, you, you have to have everything in order, all your ducks in a row, so that you can feel better about you. You don't need that, Martha. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's important, but it's not near as important as getting your sense of identity from me. And knowing me and walking with me. And so immediately, when we begin to doubt his goodness, it's going to create restlessness. It just makes sense. If I'm not resting in his love, and I try to get my sense of identity and security and hope and faith and love in something that's in creation as opposed to the creator, it's going to create restlessness. Especially when those things are being threatened, blocked, or lost in some way. And then it's going to immediately lead to irritability with others. I mean, so, okay, okay, here's, here's my lesson in conflict resolution. You know your irritability with your spouse or with those co-workers or, or with the people that live down the street or whatever? It, it's, it's really restlessness within your own heart, and it goes back to your failure to see the goodness of God. You're not resting in His goodness. Therefore, you don't, you're not resting internally, and therefore you're agitated because maybe you're thinking that somehow they participate. <laughs> you know, they're part of your problem. And that's the tendency is we tend to blame it on the people that are closest to us. And it's what creates a lot of the conflict. Did you notice what uh, Martha says? Tell her to help me. James 4, 1 through 4 uh, gives us really great insight on that. Let me read, uh, read that for you. It says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So you have desires... Nothing wrong with desires, but when those desires become demands, those things that you can't live without, that's when you begin to fight. 
And that's what he's saying. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. In other words, you're not going to God. That's, he's the source. Go to Him. Now, I think there's a great lesson here in, in anger management. And, and so we've got to define here the difference between open aggression and passive aggression. Just as I gave you kind of the general topics of people that are task-oriented, people-oriented, and then you either can be a, a controller or, or a compliant type person. Now we've got to deal with this whole idea of how we all deal with anger. Uh, and I think that uh, Martha gives us a, a good lesson. So you've got two general ways that we deal with anger, open aggression, passive aggression. I call the open aggression is more of the gunslinger. They're the ones that come in with guns blazing. You've heard me say this before, guns blazing. You know, just like, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to let them know. And it's kind of, and you wait to see who's standing, you know, after the dust has settled. You see, like, to see who wins the battle. And then the other one, the more uh, passive aggression would be more of the Eskimo, kind of the freeze out. They just kind of ignore you. And they hope that you go away. And maybe you might even die. And they, they'd be... And maybe they would be cool with that because they just, they won't say anything. They don't, they're not going to say, I hope you die. They just, kind of in their heart, they, they hope you die. And uh, that would be more of the Eskimo. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you that know me, which one do you think that I would best fit? Am I, am I, am I open aggression or am I more passive aggression? How many would say open aggression? That's Pastor Ray. I am not. How many would think that, uh, which one is Nancy? Nancy open or, or passive? Passive. Passive. That makes me so mad too. And she would have probably left me after about 10 years because I was so open to my aggression and then she was very passive and I wouldn't give her, let her get a word in edgewise. I could control her. I was a controller too. Okay. And I was very task oriented. Come on, let's get this stuff done. So you can, you can see that I was just a really delightful to live with for for many years (laughs) and uh so god certainly has done a lot of work in my life and continues to do a lot of work in my life but let me read through it only take me about 30 seconds to read each one of these to see which one you might fit in uh open aggression here's open aggression and if you check any of these on the list obviously this is what you struggle with i can be blunt and forceful when someone does something to frustrate me as i speak my convictions my voice becomes increasingly louder I never do that. That's how I preach. Yeah. When someone confronts me about a problem, I am likely to offer a ready rebuttal. No one has to guess my opinion. I'm known for having unwavering viewpoints. When something goes wrong, I, wrong, I focus so sharply on fixing the problem that I overlook others' feelings. I have a history of getting caught in bickering matches with family members. During verbal disagreements with someone, I tend to, uh, to repeat myself several times. <laughs> That's a good one. My wife used to say that. She says, man, I already heard it the first time, okay? She said, well, I'm going to tell you another ten times, okay? I find it hard to keep my thoughts to myself when it's obvious that someone else is wrong. I have a reputation for being strong-willed. I tend to give advice even when others have not asked for it. Okay. How many would say, that sounds like me? Show of hands? Okay. Fess up. I know there's more of you out there. I know there's more. You're waiting for the next one. Passive aggression. Okay. Here's passive aggression. When I'm frustrated, I become silent knowing it bothers other people. Yeah. My wife 
I didn't realize she was mad until I came home and all the door locks had been changed. Uh, I am prone to soak and pout when I don't want, uh, let's see, when I don't want to do a project, I will procrastinate. I can be lazy. When someone asks if I'm frustrated, I will lie and say, no, everything is fine. There are times when I'm deliberately evasive so others won't bother me. I sometimes approach work projects half-heartedly. When someone talks to me about my problems, I stare straight ahead, deliberately obstinate. I complain about people behind their backs but resist the opportunity to be open with them face-to-face. That's a very subtle one. A lot of times we don't even realize it because we're going to somebody else kind of triangulating and saying, these people, did you see what they did to me? Rather than just go to them and say, hey, I didn't like what you did to me, but... That's common with more passive-aggressive people. Sometimes I become involved in behind-the-scenes misbehavior. I sometimes refuse to do someone a favor, uh, knowing this will irritate him or her. Okay, how many would say that's the one you fit into? That's the category you fit into? Okay, okay. Some of you did not raise your hand at all. So that means that you probably go back and forth between the two. Would you say that? You're schizophrenic. Okay. Okay. You're in a good place here. Welcome to Desert Breeze, okay? We will we'll try to work through this. So here's what's crazy about this. Look at, look at Martha. Which one do you think Martha is? Is she open, open or passive in her aggression? She's open. She's, she's bossing Jesus around. She's bossing Jesus. Jesus, don't you care about me? Jesus, get over there and tell my sister to come in here and help me. I'm thinking, whoa, that girl's let it kind of build up. It's built up until she's blowing up. This is Jesus you're talking to. I mean, it's, it's crazy. She's very open in her aggression. She's, she's not just irritated at her sister. She's a little irritated at Jesus. She's, you see, you're just letting her sit there. She needs to get herself in the kitchen and help me out. So there's this progression. You can see it. We doubt that God cares. Internal restlessness, obvious. And then I'm going to be ticked off at the people around me. It's going to, you know, it's going to be seen in my life with the people around me. So I'm not resting in His love. Now, here's our uh, kind of segue. I put on your notes there, Mark 3, 1 through 6. We talked about Sabbath rest, and this was part of our text. And you guys remember Jesus healed the man with a shriveled hand. And so the man's shriveled hand is a picture of our lives until we are resting in the Lordship of Christ. That was why we talked about that. I didn't get a chance to tell you that last week, but that's, that's the truth of that story. And so... Our lives become shriveled up when we don't rest in Him. 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How many can relate to that verse? You see that outwardly you are wasting away. And it's not Margaritaville either, okay? You're just, uh, it's just, it's, I'm sorry, I probably even should have said that. We'll probably, we'll edit that one in this particular message here. But, uh, But you're wasting away just because of TMB. Too many birthdays. Okay. Okay, that was bad. Okay, keep going, Pastor Ray. Uh, Where were we? 2 Corinthians 4.16. Outwardly you're wasting away, but inwardly you're being renewed day by day. Are you being renewed day by day? Here's another verse we talked about, Proverbs 4.18. The path of the righteous is like the dawn... 
like the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So here's my question for you. And this is where we take it to how to get the peace of God. This is what should be happening in your life as you're walking with Jesus, as you get to know him. Is the wealth of his presence becoming sweeter to you? then are you walking with him? Because if you're walking with him, the wealth of his presence, oh my goodness, is going to become sweeter. I hung out with some friends this last week and went to a little uh, house of prayer. It's right over here. A buddy of mine has a church over here on Yorkshire and uh, 35th Avenue, a new promise. If you heard their story just alone, him and his wife and what God has done in their life, they're, they're a little charismatic. I'm cool with that. I always tell people I'm, I'm a reformed charismatic with my seatbelt on. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and I'm cool with that, but man, I, I just sat in there and they had their band playing. It was just a time of, of just worship. And for the first about 20, 30 minutes, I just wept in there, just overwhelmed with the sense of the presence of God. Do you have moments like that? You know, maybe when, you, when you're here on Sunday or maybe when you're less inhibited on your own, in your own house as you're listening to praise music or reading God's word. Is the wealth of his presence becoming sweeter and sweeter? Is the comfort of his love stronger and stronger? Is the strength of his power more sustaining? Is the acclaim of being called his child more and more real to you? See, that, that means that uh, you're truly walking with him because that's that. Though outwardly you're wasting away, inwardly you're being renewed day by day. So how did, this is what I do now. This is what I do when I spend time with the Lord as I'm working on my heart. How do you get the peace of God? Recognize my restlessness comes from looking to something to give me only what Jesus can give me. And what you're looking to is that you're either looking to religion or irreligion. Verse 40 of our text, but Martha was distracted by much serving. Why was she so distracted? She's trying to get her sense of identity from the work that she's doing. That's why she's just she's distracted by the things of this world. Mark 3, 6, remember the text from last week. It said that the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him and how to destroy him. They were upset because he's breaking the Sabbath. They didn't even understand what the Sabbath. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And what's funny about this is that the Pharisees and Herodians were enemies, and yet they're joining together to to kill Jesus. And the Pharisees and the Herodians are, are really show us the two paths that we take. The Pharisees are, hey, I'm going to keep all the, all the rules, keeping all the rules. I'm going to earn my way into God. I'm going to earn the right relationship with God so that God will accept me. You don't need to do that. He accepts you through Jesus Christ. But that's the Pharisee way. That's the religious way. And the Herodian way is, I'll break all the rules. I'll make it up. You know, I'll, I'll figure it out. I don't even need God. I'll be happy apart from him. I'll do life on my own. Both of those mistrust Jesus and mistrust the goodness of God. And we'll talk more about it next week. Luke 15, 11 through 32, the parable of the prodigal sons. Both of those sons were lost. Oftentimes we kind of gravitate towards the one son that took all the, the inheritance and spent it on wild living. But actually... The story, if you really look at the story, it's more about the older brother who left the father without ever leaving the farm. Do you know you can come to church week in and week out and still miss God? And have your heart a long ways from God? Worship Him with your lips, but your hearts be far from Him? That would be the older brother. Listen, everybody has to live for something. You're living for something. And whether you want to call it this or not, it is the Lord of your life. It could be your family. It could be your paycheck. It could be your career. It could be any number of accomplishments, achievements, 
acquire, you know, whatever you might try to acquire. If I could have this, if we could have this. You're saying to yourself, in your heart of hearts, you're saying, if I have this, if I accomplish this, if I achieve this, my life has meaning. Some of you have even gone so far to to lock your sense of identity into our government. And because the government isn't doing so well, and you don't particularly like our president, that makes you restless and irritable. Because your sense of identity is not in Jesus. The government is not going to save you, regardless of how good it might be. We want a good government. There's no doubt about it. We need to pray for our government, and that's, that's wonderful that we do. It was amazing. When I was with my friends over here, they were praying for our president. They were praying for, our, for the government. And yet I knew that they were not attaching their sense of identity and well-being to all of that. Because I believe regardless of the government, regardless of your circumstances, you can have a peace of God that goes beyond your understanding. And I think that that's part of it. And so what is the Lord of your life? What is the Lord of your life? Any Lord other than Christ is terribly unforgiving when you fail them and unfulfilling when you get them. So if you're saying, hey, if the government is is this way, then I'm going to feel better about myself. That's crazy. It'll never be the way that you want it to be. It never will be, no matter how good it might be. Or it could be your marriage. Or it could be your finances. It'll never be enough because you weren't created to have anything other than the creator at the center of your being. Only he could satisfy you. It takes us to the next point. Replace the worship of my idols with the worship of the only Lord who forgives me when I fail him and fulfills me when I get him. So this is what I'm doing is I work on my heart and I'm, I am just like you, probably worse than you. My heart is an idol factory. And yeah, I get upset when I see things in our government and I get upset when this isn't going right. And I get upset about, you know, my marriage and my finances and all these things upset me and I become restless and I become irritable. But those are the times when I need to step out of the traffic and take a long loving look. And my high God. And this is the hard work that I begin to do. So I recognize my restlessness comes from looking to something to give me only what Jesus can give me and replace the worship of my idols with the worship of the only Lord who forgives me when I fail him and fulfills me when I get him. I talked about it this last week. uh, And really, uh, the only way, you'll notice verse 42, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Not that those other things aren't important. Those are portions of our life, but this is the good portion. This is the most important portion, and that's to know Him and to spend time with Him. Purpose of Sabbath rest is to find your maximum pleasure, your joy in God. There's two things that I do as I begin to work on my heart. They're seeing God and then they're savoring God. And so I begin to pray, oh God, I want to understand with my mind all of who you are and what you've done and feel with my heart. It tells us in John 4.24 that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So the spirit would be more of that affection part of me and the truth would be more of the mind part of me. So I zero in with my mind's attention and my heart's affection on my most satisfying reality and that's God. So when you're spending time with God, when you come to church, when you're hanging out with other Christians, when you're spending time in your, on your Sabbath rests, as you're di- diverting daily even to spend time with the Lord, that's what you're doing. You're working on your heart. I love what Richard um, Loveless said. He says, Lovelace, he says, if we start each day with our personal security, not resting on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our 
present achievements, such arguments will not quiet the human conscience. And so we are inevitably moved either to either discouragement and apathy or to a self-righteousness or some form of idolatry which tries to falsify the record to achieve some sense of peace. But the gospel faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love on what Jesus has done for us instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from all, all these other sources is the very root of peace. Are you sitting at the fire of God's love regularly or are you trying to steal love and self-acceptance from something in creation rather than the creator? And that's the point that he's making here. Here's the last point that you rejoice in the person and work of Christ until your heart is relishing, resting, and releasing its grip on anything else it thinks that it can't live without. And that takes some, some strong, hard work. I've had to spend hours before the Lord, walking with the Lord, taking verses. I mean, I, this last week I was meditating on a number of verses. One of my favorites is, is uh, Psalm 91.1. Having been a firefighter, 911, there you go. That's a great verse. When things aren't working out for you, go to Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's a wonderful verse. But oftentimes I'm not dwelling because I'm not resting. If I'm not resting, it's because I'm not dwelling. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So I begin to meditate on that. Oh God, help me to learn how to dwell. What does that mean to dwell in you? And I begin to work that deep into my heart. And I begin to realize, God, dwelling with you, knowing you, experiencing you is better than anything this world could ever offer. And before long, you know, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. But it takes a lot of hard work. And so, verse 39, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to His teaching. To the degree your heart is satisfied by enjoying the love, beauty, and wisdom of Jesus Christ is to the degree the things of this world can no longer control you. Let me end with a story. I've got a story, a video, and then we're going to pray. Here's the story to kind of apply all of this. This is a story of a gal. Her name is Sally. In the early days of my pastoral ministry, this is Tim Keller from Counterfeit Gods. He says, I met a woman named Sally who'd had the misfortune of being born beautiful. Even in childhood, she saw the power that she could wield with her physical attractiveness. At first, she used her beauty to manipulate others, but eventually others used it to manipulate her. She came to feel that she was powerless and invisible unless some man was in love with her. She could not bear to be alone, and as a result, she was willing to remain in relationships with men who were abusive. Why did she endure such treatment? She had come to look to men for the kind of deep affirmation and acceptance that only God can provide, and as a result, she became a slave to love. Now, you could replace this with any number of things, anything other than this in your life and mine, and we do that. Story goes on. Sally, this beautiful woman who was trapped in abusive relationships, once said to me that men were my alcohol. Only if I was on a man's arm could I face life and feel good about myself. One day, Sally took me, uh, told me how she got her life back. She went to a counselor who rightly pointed out that she had been looking to men for her identity, for her salvation. Instead, the counselor proposed 
that she should get a career and become financially independent as a way of building up her self-esteem. The woman agreed wholeheartedly that she needed to stand on her own two feet economically, but she resisted the advice about finding self-esteem. This is what she said. I was being advised to give up a common female idolatry and take on a common male idolatry. That's what she said. But I didn't want to have my self-worth dependent on career success any more than on men. I wanted to be free. How did she do it? She came across Colossians 3, where St. Paul writes, Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. She came to realize that neither men nor career nor anything else should be her life or identity. What mattered was not what men thought of her or career success, but what Christ had done for her and how he loved her. So when she saw a man who was interested in her, she would silently say in her heart toward him, this is the heart work that we're talking about, you may turn out to be a great guy and maybe even my husband, but you cannot ever be my life. Only Christ is my life. And when she began to do this, she got her life back. This spiritual discipline gave her the ability to set boundaries and make good choices and eventually to love a man for himself and not simply to use men to bolster her self-image. Watch this video. Let's pray. Father God, help us, help us to see that you are closer. You're closer than we think and more eager for us to encounter you than we could ever imagine. And as we ruthlessly eliminate the noise and distractions of a crazy busy life, may we begin to experience life's greatest purpose, pursuit, and pleasure of knowing you. Thank you that we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for the peace, your peace, that guards our hearts and minds to be able to face anything. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.